So we've been walking through this series of characters from the Old Testament, and we've been looking at their lives and what we can learn from them. And today we are making it to the book of Ruth. So we're going to talk about Ruth. Uh, you'll recall a few weeks ago we talked about something called the marshmallow test. And that was where they took four-year-olds, four- and five-year-olds, and they gave them, put them in a room by themselves, and they gave them a marshmallow, and they said, if you can, you have this marshmallow now, but if you wait, if you can be disciplined enough to wait, you, you can have two when we come back in the room. And I think they waited 15 minutes. And it looked something like this. You know, they, they were struggling to not eat their little marshmallows, and some of them did. And I believe the stat on this was 30% of the children could actually wait for the 15 minutes before they ate their marshmallow. And then they did research later to see how those, uh, those children did, and they were much better, uh, much <laughs> better at grades and all those things because they were able to discipline themselves. Well, recently they, they revisited this study. It was with cookies, chocolate chip cookies, which would have been more of a temptation for me. But they did it in pairs of people. And so there were two four-year-olds or two five-year-olds, and they would say, same, same premise, hey, you can have this chocolate chip cookie now, but if you can wait, if you two can wait, or either one of you can wait, um, uh, we'll give you two chocolate chip cookies. Now, the, the, the deal was, if one of them ate their cookie, then neither one of them got two. And so they were motivated to help each other to, um, to, to refrain from eating their chocolate chip cookie. And the interesting thing was, about 75% of the kids then were able to, because they had someone encouraging them, they were able to wait. Which brings us to the point that we're better together. Unless you're, better, unless you're with the wrong people, then Daddy said, bad company corrupts good character, so you have to watch who you're with. But for the most part, we're better together. And so today we're talking about Ruth, and you probably already know the story. Maybe you're going to learn a little something today, but Ruth is a story of uh, a mother-in-law and a mother. So there's an obligatory mother-in-law joke right here, and uh, I'll just do one, but uh, there are lots, and uh, if you look them up, they're really good. Um, so um, this mother-in-law visits her uh, son-in-law, and he says to her as she walks in the door, uh, how long are you planning on staying? Because that's really something that we like to know. And the mother-in-law kind of jokingly says, oh, just until you get tired of me. And he said, oh, it's been nice to see you. Uh, I hope you can stay longer next time. All right, one more, just one more. Uh, you know, it's just too good to be true. Uh, I, I like this, this lady tweeted this. Um, I live in constant fear that ICE will deport my Latina mother-in-law who lives at 324 3rd Street, Los Angeles, gets off work at 7. So uh, th those are the obligatory mother-in-law jokes. And that's the stereotype that mother-in-laws are hard to get along with, that kind of thing. In this story, it, we, we see this dynamic that really plays out in your life and my life. And that's this. In every person experience, yours and mine, we all have this, we are marked by two different kinds of experiences. Acts of kindness, acts of unkindness. And, and you, if you think about it, this is true. Uh, there's something that went on unkind in your life. It could be somebody picked on you in, in school, or your parents did something, or uh, you were you, you know, jilted <laughs> uh, to the prom by a guy who had a, you know, a convertible, that kind of thing, and the good-looking girl went with somebody else. And, 
And so then you look back on Facebook now, and she's not that good looking anymore, and the guy's driving a hoopty. So it kind of works out. But those things, um, they shaped you in the moment, right? These acts of unkindness. And then these acts of kindness also shape you. I remember, and I've told you this story before, but uh, when I was about 20 years old, I was driving a car that my daddy, he had sort of on consignment, was going to sell it. And so we went to get it, and we were driving home for him to sell it. And I ran off the road and hit a, a fence post, a corner fence post, and kind of tore up the grill and that kind of thing. And, and my dad had every right to get on me a little bit. And it, it, this marked me because he turned around, he came, he, he, he said, first thing, are you okay? Yes. He said, look, I was going to, this is beautiful. He said, I was going too fast for you to follow. And he kind of took it on himself. We are marked by these things. And so acts of unkindness or acts of kindness have this tendency to sort of shape your life. Now, in the, in the story of Ruth, there are these, this amazing act of kindness. So let's just jump into it. Ruth 1. Uh, in the days when the judges ruled the Israel, I'll tell you about that in just a second. A man from Bethlehem in Judea. Does anybody? <laughs> Bethlehem's kind of famous, y'all. It's like famous for stuff. Uh, in Judah, uh, left the country because of a severe famine. And he took his wife and two sons, and they went to live in a country called Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. That's a great name. His wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion, or Kilion. All right, so. You get the picture, the, the time of the judges, by the way, in the days of the judges, there were no kings and people did whatever they wanted to. It was really not a good time in the life of Israel. And so they went to a foreign land to find some food. And Adrian Rogers, who was this great preacher, used to say, he had a saying, he said, sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what happened with this family. They go to a place, Moab was kind of noted for being ungodly, and bad things start to happen. During their stay in Moab, Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Understand the culture just for a second. If you're a woman you really didn't have a lot of independence. And so your existence depended on uh, your husband. And when your husband died, you wanted to have sons in your life because your sons were the ones that, that, that was your social security. Your sons would take care of you. And so this is Naomi's lot in life. Her husband dies. And the two sons married a Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, uh, she started a, um, uh, a media uh, conglomerate, so she has a talk show, uh, and the other, a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, so now this, this, this series of unfortunate events, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her husbands or sons. And you understand that's really being destitute. A woman in this time really had very few options. You, you had a husband who took care of you, you had a dad who took care of you, or you had sons who took care of you. This is the world they lived in. Now, Naomi was too old, likely, to go back to her father. Uh, her husband died, and now her sons, her security, also is gone. This would be something like you having a 401k, you're depending on that for your retirement, and all of that is lost, and now what are you going to do? I mean, you seriously have no means, visible means of support. 
women in this time were really, really, it was really tough. So you could try to marry again, or you could, you could go into prostitution. That's kind of your options. You had very few options as a woman. And you can understand that Naomi is just distraught. She's not only got no one to take care of her, she's got no one to take care of her in a foreign land. So it's just really not a good situation. And she just wanted some relief. I mean, have you ever gotten to a place where you just want some relief? I heard about a guy, he goes into a shoe store, and he says, I want that shoe in a size 8. The guy's been selling shoes for a while, and he said, well, sir, I can tell just by looking at your feet, you need an 11, you know, at least an 11. And the guy goes, I want an 8. Okay. He brings him an 8, he stuffs him, his feet in there, the, guy can, the, the salesman can see it's really, really not <laughs> good. And, and the dude with the shoes buying the shoes says, look, here's the deal. Um, my house, I just lost a foreclosure. My wife left me for my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Um, I'm living in my mother's basement, and my company just went into bankruptcy. So the only thing I have to look forward to is coming home at night and taking these shoes off. And sometimes you've got to have some relief. Sometimes you just have to have relief. All right, so uh, Naomi decides she's going to go back to her home country. The, the famine is over. The reason they left was a famine, but that had been years before. And she's going to go, and she's going to take her two daughter-in-laws because she really doesn't know what to do with them. But then she changes her mind. It's kind of interesting. They head out, and then she's like, I don't really, I'm going to be lucky to find enough relief for myself. I really don't want you girls to go along. And she says, why don't you, why don't you go back to your, she says, go back to your fathers, because that's what women did, and maybe you can find another husband. And Orpah does this, and she, uh, she weeps. Ruth decides to not do this. Uh, we saw this, uh, Elimelech died, they all died. Uh, first, oh, let me go back to this. Elimelech died, the two sons died, the, the sons were married to Moabite women. One was named Orpah, the other, I've already done that one, right? Okay, so the life lesson number one, kindness isn't always appreciated. Look at what happens. They, they go back to Bethlehem. Now, you would think uh, that Naomi would appreciate Ruth uh, staying with her. Uh, when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was stirred by their arrival. Is this really Naomi, uh, the women ask? And she said, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Lord Almighty has made life bitter for me. Naomi means promise. Mara means bitter. She was not very happy. Now, if I'm Ruth, <laughs> and this is what she says, I'm like, well, what about my sacrifice? What about my staying with you? What about me coming along? I mean, uh, she, she, just, she gets no press at all. I mean, I mean Ruth could kind of feel a little slighted here. Our daughter Mallory, if you know Mallory, and, and you all don't know her very well, but Mallory is uh, super friendly and can talk to anybody. She's great with people. Mallory is uh, the life of a party, any party she's at, and you want, her, you want her around. She's just fun. Well, Mallory went on a mission trip when she was a youth to Chicago, and, and they were working with um, some underprivileged people, and they were happened to be downtown one day, and she saw a lady going up some steps, and she had two kids in tow and a stroller, and so Mallory just picked the stroller up and was carrying it up the steps for this lady, and the lady didn't like it. And she told her, as only a Chicagoan can, that she should put that stroller down. 
Uh, she said it in such a colorful way that, Mary, uh, that uh, Mallory had to wash her ears out with soap and water when it was over with them. It was really bad. And not all the time are our acts of kindness appreciated. Sometimes you do nice things, and uh, it makes it easier when it's appreciated. But that's not why, actually, Ruth had gone with Naomi. I mean, she did it because it was the right thing to do. And so she does the right thing. And the Bible tells us, it, it says... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And there's no, nothing here about you're always going to be appreciated for this. There's nothing here about do this if people say thank you. Uh, there's nothing here that says, hey, um, the, the qualifier is uh, if these people really need it and they're going to be thankful. That's not what it says. The reason we do these things, we have compassion, and we're kind, and we're humble, and we're gentle, and we're patient. The reason that we do that is because that's who Jesus is, and therefore that's who we should be as well. We do it because it, it's sort of in the DNA of who we are. And when he says, clothe yourselves, he's saying this is something that we choose to do. Now, Yes, let's be compassionate and let's help people. Absolutely. But understand going in, it may not always be appreciated. It's really important. Second lesson is this. God's always at work. Jesus said, my, my father is always at work. And this story takes this really interesting turn. And so Ruth and Naomi, they go back to Bethlehem. And Naomi is like, well, look what else she says. The Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full. God has brought me home empty. Oh, why should you call me Naomi when the Lord has caused this suffering? The Almighty has sent such tragedy. It's very, it's very caustic the way she speaks here about God. And yet God, here's what I like about how big he is. And I don't mean that like in size-wise. I mean that in the way he treats us. Pain has a tendency to cause us to not see God's goodness. Uh, and yet, even in the midst of, of pain, God is there. Several years ago, when we lived in New Mexico, there was a young woman about uh, 16, 17 years old. She's pretty young. She got pregnant, had a baby, and during childbirth, she died. It's tragic. And I remember I, I had the opportunity to do the funeral. It was tough, and so... I went to sit with the family, and one of the uncles, I think, voiced what everybody was thinking. And he said, Preacher, i just got to be honest with you, we're, we're pretty ticked at God right now. And I cleaned it up a little bit. That's not exactly what he said, but that's a general gist of it. And I, I, our natural response is, I need to defend God. Well, God's big enough to defend himself. And, and my only response was, well, isn't it good that God's not ticked at us? I mean, even in difficulty, we can see the hand of God at work. And so Naomi and Ruth, they go back to, uh, back to Naomi's home to find some relief. And the challenge really is to see the hand of God at work even in the midst of pain. And he was at work. It's really, really interesting. Which brings me to the third point. Redemption, and we're going to talk about that word in a minute. Redemption is God's ultimate choice. So look at what happens. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing. That means he has uh, some wealth to him. 
whose name was Boaz. What a cool name, Boaz. If I had had a son, I might have named him Boaz. I like that. And Ruth said to Naomi, "Let, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean the fields. Now, to glean simply means that whatever's left over, you can pick up. It's a little like dumpster diving, actually. It's really kind of, except you're not actually getting in a dumpster. And so, when they were gleaning the fields, the law said, don't, don't glean them all. I mean, don't get everything. Leave stuff for people like Ruth and Naomi. These are people who are desolate. Now, what's really interesting is they, had, they still had to work for it. It wasn't a handout, but it was, hey, uh, leave some stuff. Don't take everything because there are people who are in need. And so they gleaned behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she found, as it turned out, the Bible never talks about luck, by the way. It never says, hey, she was lucky. As it turned out, as God was working in the situation, as it turned out, the field belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. They said that twice. Did you notice that? He's from the clan of Elimelech, verse 1. He's from the clan of Elimelech, verse 3. It's really important. When the, when the Bible wants to make a point, they're redundant. That's like if my mama was on my case, she would use my full name, right? Joseph Lawrence Vest, and I knew I was in trouble, right? So when, when they use something twice in three verses, that means it's really, really important. And God has an eye toward those who are in need. It's really interesting. The scripture talks about this a lot. It, it sort of makes this distinction between the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. And the righteous poor would be widows and orphans and widows. Again, I just, I've, I've told you, they didn't have a lot of way to, to stay uh, afloat. And orphans, again, they, they were destitute. And the Bible talks about, hey, those are... The, the righteous poor, and we should help the righteous poor, and, and aliens. And, and so this was, this was who Ruth was. She was a Moabitess who's also a widow. She's a foreigner and a widow. And God says, these are the people you need to take care of. The Bible's also very clear about the unrighteous poor. There are some people who, uh, there's a word for it in Scripture, it's called lazy there are people that are lazy. They don't want to work. And the Bible doesn't say you have to help them so much. You have to, we are supposed to, help those, the righteous poor. And they make a distinction in Scripture about this. And this whole gleaning thing happens because there are people who need help. And as it would happen, it says, as it happened. I, I, I like that. It's like God is in the moments. And it's never busy work, you know. God is never just work. He's not just doing busy work. God is doing intentionally work. And he was planning all this. And they came at just the right time. Because it was barley season, harvest season. They could have come any time. They just happened to come, just happened to come. When the barley was being harvested, it's really important to understand God is at work and it's never busy work. And if you've ever had a job, a busy work job, my word, it is so annoying. I heard about these uh, guys who worked for the government, and uh, they were in a beautification program. And so this dude was watching them, and they would get in their little pickup truck, and a guy would get out, and he would dig a hole, 
And he would go back and sit in the truck, and they would wait 15 minutes, and the other guy would get out, and he would fill the hole back in. And, and they would drive up the road about 50 yards, and they would do the same thing. First guy gets out of the truck, he digs a hole, he goes sits in the truck, they wait 15 minutes. The other guy gets out and fills the hole in. They do it three or four times, and the dude yells at him, and he says, what are you guys doing? So we're, we're, we're with the beautification of the city. Uh, we're, we're beautifying the city. And he said, well, how, how's digging a hole and filling it back in beautifying anything? He said, well, the guy that plants the trees, he's sick today. Uh, so there, there was a process. Y'all get that? That's funny. Uh, there was a process. And sometimes our work feels like it's busy. Well, not God. God's always doing something important. He's working with an end in mind. And so God just arranges for Naomi to go back at just the right time and Ruth go with him at just the right time. And then there's Boaz. And Boaz arrived in Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. He was a man of God. He's a good man. And Boaz stands out in this story as someone who is incredibly reputable now can you imagine you can't imagine if you were a young woman and you were out there gleaning what might happen to you and boaz notices this this young woman finds out she's a widow he finds out that she's from moab she's not even jewish and he says to her he calls her over and he says you glean in my fields and you take a rest with my workers. And he, tell, he tells the workers, boys, you all need to leave this girl alone. And, and then there's something else that we need to make note of. What we need to understand is Boaz, he, remember he's from the clan of Elimelech. They, they're, they're kin, as we say back in Kentucky. They're kinfolk, right? And so he becomes something that's known in the Old Testament as a kinsman redeemer. And this is how that used to work. When the Jews entered the promised land, they were allotted, uh, they were allotted a lot. Uh, they were allotted a, a plot of land. And so let's say we all went and you would get a plot of land and you would get a plot of land and I'd get a plot of land. And the idea was you would never lose your plot of land, even if you became incredibly poor. Now, you might be able to sell it, but there would be somebody in your family, some kin folks, who would come along and they would purchase the land and they would stay in the family. You couldn't sell it to a conglomerate from China. You know, you had to sell it to your people, to, to your clan. And a kinsman redeemer basically had to be one of three things. They had, all the, had to be all these three things. They had to be kin, thus the name. They had to want to redeem your property. And they had to uh, have the means to redeem your property. Those three things. I could want to, but if I don't have the finances. I mean, I see stuff I want to buy and I can't afford it. So it's not that. I have to be related. I have to have enough money. And then I have to have a desire. Now, uh, here, here's the thing. I, I, this reads like a Hallmark movie, if you've ever read the story of Ruth. Boaz sort of has a little thing for Ruth. She's a little bit younger. She's, she's maybe a hottie. I, you know, I don't know. And so Boaz, he, he, he sees her, and she's a hard worker, and he sees the things of, about her that he, he, uh, he likes. And he decides that he wants to be the kinsman redeemer because not only do you get the property, but you also, as kinfolk, you get the wife of, 
uh, of your kinfolk who's died. Uh, some of y'all are kind of squinting your nose. It might not be good in certain instances, but in this case, Boaz was, was okay with that. And, and there's, it, it's sort of this picture of what Jesus has done for us. God did it for us. He, uh, out of sheer generosity, He put us in right standing with Himself. He redeems us, is what this text says. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by means of Jesus Christ, to the ta- who the Bible talks about is our kinsman redeemer. Really interesting. So, Ruth's mother-in-law becomes her matchmaker-in-law, and she begins, Naomi begins to tell her, this is what you need to do. And so, Ruth uh, wins Boaz's favor, and now he wants to redeem her. But there is a problem. Every great story has a little bit of a conflict. And there's a conflict and the conflict was there was somebody else who was closer kin than him. So there's a pecking order. The closest kin has first rights. So Boaz has some work to do. Chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. That's where all the business transactions happened. And he sat down there just as the kinsman redeemer uh, he had mentioned came along. The, the guy that was a little bit ahead of him. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. And Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they're going to have themselves a little bit of a, of a meeting. They're going to talk about this thing right here. And this is how it goes down. Then Boaz says to the kinsman redeemer, by the way, we never even know his name. Uh, let's call him um, Dwayne. Uh, uh, Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you'll redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and then I'm next. And the dude said... (laughs) All right, so he he gets, it's like, it's more property. I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. I love the way Boaz works this. Because now all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're committed. Oh, I forgot one little detail. And this is the detail. Y'all remember Cracker Jacks? Cracker Jacks, you'd eat the Cracker Jacks. They were great and they had a little prize. Well, the prize here is a wife. Uh, Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Really interesting that he says it this way. It's not, hey, you're going to get a wife. You're going to get a foreign wife, which will mess up your bloodline. Really, I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. Uh, She's a Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And the idea was, if I am... Uh, the son-in-law or the, the brother-in-law of somebody and, and he dies, then it's my responsibility to sire children and they have his name. Is kind of the idea around it. Now, we have a, an expression in Kentucky for what this was for uh, Dwayne, and that is, we call it a deal breaker. Uh, that's what happened. He's a deal breaker. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, we don't really know if it's a matter of, maybe he didn't want to marry a foreign woman. 
it's likely, by the way. It's kind of the most likely thing. Maybe he didn't want to take on the responsibility of siring children who then would get some of his inheritance and they would be not full-blooded Jews. Maybe, maybe that was a concern for him. But for whatever reason, he doesn't want to do it. And then they have this incredibly strange custom about a shoe. Look at this. Now, in the early times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing a transaction in Israel. So the guardian redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he handed him his sandal. I looked this up. I, I did all the research I could do and had time for. There's a couple of ideas around it. One was, um, it was symbolic that you've walked the property and you've cho- chosen not to buy it. Uh, the other is, it was symbolic of you are uh, going to be the one who marries the person. Uh, only, the, only the groom is allowed to wear the shoes is kind of the idea around it. And, and if you recall... John the Baptist was asked one time, are you the Messiah? And this is what he said. The people were waiting expectantly about being the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one is more powerful than I, and he will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. And this is kinsman redeemer language. Now, in the Old Testament, what would happen was, all this transpires in public. We just saw they had ten people at the town gate. Anybody that wants to watch can watch. And so, if one guy says, no, I will not redeem her, this widow. Now, this is how it, go, it went. They, he would take off his shoe and hand it to the widow. Now, can you imagine? Th- think about how humiliating that was. I don't want you to be my wife. And I'm going to state it publicly and what he would do is hand her his shoe now think about how empowering this was to women in a very patriarchal society the woman would then take the shoe and spit in his face and he would have to walk around in shame with one shoe in kentucky if you shame a woman like that she don't spit in your face, she shoots at your face, and then her daddy comes after you. Uh, but uh, th- this is better than that, I guess. What's really interesting is, Boaz takes the shame away from both Ruth and Dwayne in this story. He, he takes it on himself. He takes the shame because he was going to hand that shoe to to Ruth, but Boaz accepts it. He accepts the shame, which is what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's this beautiful picture. And Boaz takes the shame. And he takes Ruth as his wife. And it ends up being pretty good. Look at the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of a guy you may have heard of named David. It kind of all worked out. And God includes in this story people who weren't even Jewish, and it is an amazing thing. You never know 
how God is using even difficult times. It's really important for us to understand this. Let me end with a story, and then I'll end with a verse. There was a governor in Massachusetts a while back named Christian Hector, uh, Hester, sorry, and he was running for re-election, and one day he was attending one of those fundraisers, you know how those things go, and, and he had missed breakfast, and he had missed lunch, and it was, was kind of late in the afternoon, and they were having a barbecue, and so he gets in line to get some food, because he's famished, he hadn't eaten all day, and he gets to the lady who's handing out the chicken, and she gives one piece, and he says, would you mind giving me two pieces. I, I am just famished. And she says, no, uh, one piece per customer. Sorry, one piece per customer. And he kind of pleads his case. He said, but I haven't had breakfast or lunch. And she said, I'm so sorry. It's one piece per customer. Now, he's pretty uh, meek most of the time, but in this particular instance, he kind of wanted to play the governor card. So he says, madam, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. And she said, well, do you know who I am? I'm the, peop- I'm the person handing out chicken. Move along. And, and so you've got to know who you are, right? You've got to know who you are. And, and in Christ, look at what it says in Titus. Jesus gave his life to redeem us from every kind of sin and to cleanse us and to make us his very own people. I love the story of Ruth because it reminds me that you have someone who loves you enough to take on the shame which is exactly what Boaz did for Ruth. We have a kinsman redeemer, somebody that's he's kin to us, and he's willing to pay, and he's paid. He's got the means to pay. That's who, that's who we have in Jesus. I love the story because it's kind of the story of us. So on this day where we are celebrating Thanksgiving, uh, and just, you know, I hope y'all get to come back or you're staying, maybe you're working, and then you're going to come back and, and eat with us. Aren't these decorations amazing? I mean, I stayed up all night uh, thinking about somebody doing these decorations, and uh, uh, it, they did great. Uh, Ashley and Robin, man, they, they really did great on this. Uh, so let's pray together. Uh, I don't have a lot of announcements, so I'm just going to dismiss you in a second. Uh, if you need somebody to pray with or hang out with, I'm going to be right here. And I appreciate you all. Thank you, Lord, for this good story today. Thank you for um, showing us a path that you're always at work, even in our lives, even during difficulty. Thank you for that. Pray that you'll help us and guide us as we walk this week and as we enjoy each other today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.